Hi, this is Tom Pacello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider Mediafly. Our mission to provide you with the independent insights, community advice, and tools to guide your sales enablement journey and fuel your professional evolution. My guest today is Bill Liebler. He is currently the Director of Value Management at NetSuite, and formerly, he was a business unit executive for IBM Watson, leading their customer engagement for the North American channels. He was also a vice president of partner enablement at Crossworld Software and a manufacturing pre-sales leader at Oracle. Bill's an expert on all things ROI, TCO, and business value management, BVM, since we doing the acronyms, I figured we'd throw three in there for you. <laughs> Uh, Ma'am, we're so pleased to have him with us here today. Evolvers, please, a warm welcome for Bill Liebler. Well, thank you for that introduction, Tom. And um, I I have to tell, uh, I use your name a lot at NetSuite because uh, sales reps will say, oh, Bill's the ROI guy. And I say, no, I am not. Uh, Tom (laughs) Pacello is the ROI guy. And he has a copyright on that, so I do not want to violate his copyright. <laughs> you could be the, the ROI dude or the ROI bro or something like that, especially with all the young the young uh, millennials coming in. I think dude and bro would probably be better. <laughs> I like it. And in looking at the arc of your career, uh, you know, as I read through the credits and did a little bit of research on uh, where you started, because I got to know you, I think, at, at IBM for the first time. Um, I didn't know you were as much into channel partner management as you were. And I think you started off your career even as an IT director. How did you ultimately end up to become, uh, to come to value management as your kind of uh, landing point? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, like I think a lot of folks' careers, a little bit by fortuitous accident. Um, IBM bought Crossworld. I'd done a bunch of different things there. And six months in, I wanted to change from the partner enablement. Um, and the leader I had worked with, I reached out to him and said, hey, I want to do something different. And he's like, hey, be in San Francisco next week. We're going to talk about um, this new idea we have. We're not sure what we're calling it. It was all about um, TCO around enterprise application integration time. And that morphed into IBM creating an industry solutions team. So we got back to my roots as, as a consultant from Deloitte and, and, and manufacturing IT. So we, we got to build a team. IBM builds things globally and then moves them into geo. So we built it globally. Um, I moved myself and most of the team into North America after we had seeded a few countries and um, did that for a long time and then went and spent two years in Singapore um, trying to uh, build up the value selling capability and the value management type um, resources across the growth market. So which that was pretty fascinating, Tom, because all of a sudden, you know, things like FTEs mean something different in somewhere like India or China or, you know, we're very, very low cost of resources. So you had to figure out what value meant to those folks. So, you know, that's really the arc of it. And then I did channels for about six years at IBM after I came back from Singapore. And um, one of the guys who uh, I worked with out of Australia is NetSuite's JPAC value management lead and pinged him on LinkedIn when I was ready for a change and ended up here uh, 
individual contributor for the first three years. And um, our global lead um, went over to, to start a team somewhere else. And, uh, you know, a month ago, they said, hey, come do this. So I said, okay. Yeah. It's, you know, value management and acceleration practices have definitely come a long way, baby, right? Uh, from way, way back in the oh, day, yeah. in some of these nascent <laughs> programs at IBM and at Oracle and at uh, SAP. Um, I'm seeing a lot more smaller tech firms doing it right away. I mean, like they've got uh, just a few salespeople and they're already implementing value programs. I'm seeing it uh, particularly now that I'm with Mediafly, working with a lot of CPG companies, manufacturing companies, they're all getting into the value game. What are you seeing um, trend-wise? What are a couple of the trends in terms of the, the value management practices that you're seeing out there? Well, I think I think you just hit on a big one, which is, smaller firms. So, so NetSuite has an extensive alliances partner network. And, and I've actually worked directly with, with one of those. And they, they new VP of sales, who's incredibly focused on value selling. In fact, he, I recommended um, Evolve Sellers to all of, to him and he bought it for all of his reps. So I uh, got a plug in for you on that one. Thank but you. um you're welcome, but you know they, they starting off with a value calculator type thing, and as we dug into the conversation, he's using it in the way I think a lot of people do, Tom, which is put a value prop out early and in front, and use it like almost like a challenger sale to have people call up and say, "We're not sure we believe you," and that opens the door for okay, well then let's talk about where you are and what you want to do and. Let's explore the numbers and see what happens. So it turns into a sale based on a, you know early discussion around value. I'm seeing that in a lot of the um, I would call it the you know smaller you know three to twenty five thirty uh, person firms. But then I think the other big one is value around with the, with the explosion of SaaS. Um, the explosion of value around post-sale, mm -hmm. um, the account management type function, and needing to, you know, it, it, it's certainly about keeping your renewal base high, but it's upsell, cross-sell, and really digging in on why, you know, somebody should expand with, you know, you know for us, for a NetSuite product versus going to a competitive product. Um, it's about nurturing the relationship with customers focused on what value are we driving for their business, and that in, enables us then to be able to grow our relationship with. Yeah. So I think those are two big, big ones that jump out to me, and I'm certainly in talks with friends who are in very different businesses here. When they hear what I do, they're like, oh, yeah, we're trying to do that around you know, product X or product Y and really put why our product is going to make sense for your business opposed to just feature function sale and get beat up on price. <laughs> yeah, I do think that it's moved from, you know, kind of putting together that ROI and TCO spreadsheet or perhaps an ROI and TCO calculator to be, as you indicate, value first. So making sure you got the right articulation, the storytelling, and then kind of getting value out there and maybe a calculator early. And then, as you said, kind of flowing the, the customer life cycle, you know, almost a value proposition or inspiring with value in the beginning, then discovering with value and then kind of proposing value. But now it's been through 
value realization and value expansion. Yes. And then it's throughout that entire life cycle. And that's quite a change. Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And it's an interesting challenge that the value realization side is is um, particularly challenging because I don't, having run IT for a couple of organizations, we weren't necessarily the best at here's our business case for a project and then two years going back and saying, and here's our, how we picked all those metrics off. It kind of gets lost in the noise. So that's a really interesting long-term challenge, I think. Yeah. So when it comes to value realization, um, are you thinking that it's just more, it's not in the, um, the muscle of the organizations that you sell to? Uh, I know you've got a customer success organization that probably does quarterly business reviews with customers. What my experience is, is they're so focused on the deployments and the triage and also just on adoption and some of the base metrics that you need to get to before you actually get to value realization that they, they never seem to kind of get to the realization. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. You know, it's also you you tend to sell high in winning, you know, particularly an ERP um, or a CRM or you know something like that. Um, you sell high into the line of business, but then the people you tend to talk to on those quarterly or we we do quarterly and annual are generally not the CFO, COO, president, owner. They're person administering the system. So, so elevating that conversation so you can get back to remember, you know, you bought this to drive margins. You bought this to reduce inventory. You bought this to improve customer sat. How's that going versus like you said, oh, let's triage these three things that are on your list today. It, it's, I think that's, I, I certainly think that's a huge challenge. And I think businesses have gotten a lot better at KPIs and, and really looking at what drives the results. So, so I think that part's getting potentially easier, but it's more of getting back to who can really tell you, are, are they achieving what they hope to achieve? Now, you mentioned international. Can you talk a little bit about some of the big differences that you've seen in international programs? I think that's really interesting yeah. for a lot of folks out there who might not have had the international experience or just guessing that. It certainly is. Um, and it's really different, Tom, depending on, you know, where in international you're talking about. So, you know, you take in Australia, you take, you take Western Europe. Um, it's not so different from, you know, established North American countries. Um but you get into emerging countries, you get into ASEAN, you get into um, India, Eastern Europe, Middle East, Africa. It is still, you still try to elevate it to what are the business values. But, but it's an area where I really walked away from the experience in living in Singapore and, and having teams all over um, the growth markets, which you know, was a big thing back in 2010. Um, is more and more that, you know, one of my core philosophies I talk to sellers about is value is in the eye of the beholder. You know, so what is important to a business owner in Malaysia or India is going to be different than if that same business was in London or in Atlanta or Charlotte. It's, you know, you really, and you really do have to do some digging and oftentimes it's going back, um, you know, 
10 years and in, in, in how we look at it and think it's more about, hey, we still have to justify that we can win feature function technically, then how do we differentiate ourselves and, and kind of force a conversation that they think about as they run their business, but they may not think about how technology links to the execution of of driving profitability and driving revenue growth and all the things we talk about. So it's to me, I think it's really key. The other factor is, and, and as I roll in in June into more of the international aspect, um, I've talked to the team about channels back to that, because in much of the particularly emerging world, most companies, whether you're NetSuite Oracle or you're taking your first crack at going into AP, you're going to have to go through channels. And so working and I did with partners on how to help them um, and then making sure you're, you're partnering to get the, the channel partners going, but then also helping them on the first few deals so that then, you, you know, because you got to be able to scale it and, and that's a challenge. But, but it's one that a lot of people don't think about, um, at least from, from my experience. Yeah, but a lot more tech businesses being driven through channels. Um, most are trying to scale that way. Channel partnerships have changed quite a bit from transactional partners to much more value add services partners, right? Oh, um, so, oh, yeah. I, you know, how do you quickly grow and get a channel partner to communicate and quantify value is something that a lot are faced with. Yeah, and, and I think a lot depends on what your partners look like. So, haven't worked with a really broad set of them at IBM because you know, Watson customer engagement was really the old IBM commerce. So it was EDI, which had very different value props than WebSphere Commerce or or marketing automation. So, you know, what's the partner's DNA? Well, we're fortunate here at NetSuite in that a lot of our partner DNA are financially oriented people. So they think like CFOs, like controllers, like, you know, uh, COOs. And so we, we've actually, in, in rolling that aspect out, have been successful in being able to, to kind of start with, hey, here's a value tool to be able to gather metrics and do the calculations, um, but then not having to worry too much about that they can put a story around it. You know, they're comfortable with the story where folks who are working with more, I'll call them technical oriented channel partners, I think have a bigger challenge because you, you have to get them think business and, and tell stories that aren't, you know, feeds and speeds and, and feature function, but really, you know, business impacts. So, I, you know, it really is looking at your partner base. And I think you got to shape your program around what, what's your partner, you know, what's their um, approach to going to market. And, and like I said, I think here we're lucky. We've been able to scale it quickly, and, and I'm hoping to be able to do the same thing as we as we roll this out more and more globally. And do you kind of only provide this enablement to the tier one partners, to tier two partners? Do you have a certification program, or still still being formed? Still, still, yeah. You know, I'll use your term. Still evolving. Um, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, and, and it's really one where certain partners have really gravitated to this idea. We introduced it the first time um, back when we could actually be in person at, at um, 
our big customer conference, and obviously a lot of partners are there. Um, you know, there were presentations. We had a booth. They could come learn. The ones that really gravitated towards it, you know, kind of self-volunteered to be the guinea pig. Let's see how this works. But I do think it's an area um, where we we need to formalize a bit more of a of a true program around it. And and as I get out and work with with our with our team in Singapore or um, in in LA, you know, we we need to look at how do we how do we scale it? Is it tier one on down? Is it more of ones you've seen that that really um, are are have the capability to jump in and do it where you know our sellers may not have to be as involved with them? So that's at our physical year starts in in June. So that's a big you know, FY22 um, program to figure out. Definitely. Now, one of the other areas that I know a lot of value practice leaders struggle with is scale, in particular scale with resources. Where do we find the next generation of value consultants? Uh, How do you go about staffing when it seems that value consultants are really in short supply and incredible demand lately? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and we're we're you know as as you look at it, you've got an interesting mix of people that get into it. Some of which, some a lot of whom are by accident, right? They they are looking for a career change. They're tired of whatever being you know a sales consultant and doing demos, but they have the skills there burned out from being on the road doing deployments, but again, have, have the sales acumen. Um, and and you know, looking at the folks over the last, gosh, 20 years, that's, that's a scary statement, um, is, you know, it's been that mix. Um, and, and we've still been recruiting from that. And it's a lot of folks um, who have a ton of experience. But as you look, I think one of the biggest challenges, people building programs, how do you bring someone in who has the potential um, with four or five, six years of experience, they've got a reasonable degree of acumen, you can put them in front of a customer, they can ask good value questions, impact questions, peel back the onions as as we do what we do, um, and you can grow them you know, into what you want to do. So that's been our kind of strategy is we've got a team of really seasoned, deep, um, either either industry knowledge or sales, pre-sales, consulting knowledge. We've got a CFO on our team who wow. was, you know, just, yeah, who, who is doing an amazing job in that, in that customer success um, team. Um, but now we're looking at how do we go find the more junior folks, um, and and that's been an, an interesting discussion of what's the profile of somebody with five or six years of experience. And again, it's going to be really different if you're a security software company versus an ERP versus, you know. Um, but at the same time, you know, Tom, I've described what we do as we we spend a little bit of time with someone, we package a story they know a lot more about their business than we ever will know. So it's like creating a PhD thesis and defending it to somebody who knows a lot more than you do and having to be able to pull that off. That's, you know, and that's probably probably why we struggle to find people. Well, it is. And that's why it's like, who's that, who's that 
person who, you know, at 27, 28 years old can, can do that. Um, and I'm looking forward to that challenge as we try to recruit some of those folks um, and, and not just have a team of folks with, you know, 20, 25 years of experience um, just because it's, I think it's the only way we're going to build the next generation. And, and we've got to do that. As you said, it's exploding more and more. The folks who have value management on the resumes are pretty fluid right now. <laughs> yeah, they definitely are. As you say, you inherited part of the program because of that fluidity, which is great because there's right, a right. lot of uh, <laughs> being able to move up the ranks very, very quickly. You know, we tend to look for management consultants and analysts, but those are few and far between. Um, we've had some really good luck with sales leaders who have CPAs and backgrounds in finance. Um, they're rare, but when they are there, they've got both that field selling experience plus that. And then pre-sales, the same thing. If you can get a pre-sales yep. with some financial acumen, a, C a CPA, an MBA, or even some business courses, that can help a yep. lot. I arrived at it through industrial engineering and some courses I had in uh, electrical engineering school. And that's where I learned about to crunch numbers on factory upgrades and ROI and total cost of ownership back then. Um, not finding a lot of pure engineers who um, <laughs> want to move into this role though, so. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what is this, do you think the biggest challenge that you face over the next 12 months is uh, kind of staffing and growing the practice from a people perspective? Um, do you think there are process challenges? Do you think that buyers are changing? Where do you think the biggest challenge is for the next 12 months in NetSuite's practice? Yeah, that's a, that's a an interesting conundrum. And, and you know, I'm looking back. The conversation we're having is we're a different business than when I joined three years ago. Mm -hmm. We we are scaling what we call our emerging sales team. Folks selling the companies under four million dollars in revenue at an amazing rate. So part of the challenge then is finding folks who can deal with a you know volume and velocity business. Um, with buyers who run amazing businesses that are growing, but but may not have much experience in software acquisition mm -hmm. and deployment. Um, so, you know, it's that I'm looking at where we were to where, then where are we going to go? So coming out of COVID even, you know, that seems to be starting to get in the background for North America. The rest of the world still having some pretty big challenges, but getting out of that, finding the right people um, again maybe some of those more junior folks who who are comfortable having the conversation with with um, the, the companies while also we have to support you know the higher end larger deals we're doing but then how do we evolve the tools for that mix of emerging versus you know 20 to 200 million dollar companies and then um, how do we evolve tools for the customer success role? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's really a, a mix of um, finding the right people, having slightly different mindsets on on the markets we go after. This back this value in the eye of the beholder. It's it's very different from you know. Tom, who has a $2 million company, then Tom that has a, is CEO of a $200 million company, or 
you know, Tom's our customer and his business has gone from 40 million to 200 million and he's been running on our product for five years. Yeah. <laughs> so that to me is, is what I see as um, a challenge as a leader in this space, which is to think about how do you create the right mix of resources, how you leverage, you know, whether it's tools, um, but, but even more importantly, how do you help your sellers become value sellers mm-hmm. um, as, as part of that process to scale? Because that's the only way we'll scale is we need to teach the folks to fish, right? We need to help them know how to write, ask the right questions, um, you know, do what you and I have done for years, which is go from one question to question four, and you've got to, you know, okay, we can help them improve gross margins 1%. We got a business case. <laughs> so how do you help reps get there? And then how do we do that globally? Yeah. Um, and that hyper- so I realize that's a, that's a handful of challenges, but being in this role for you know five weeks, it's, you can tell I got a lot on my mind of what's challenged. Absolutely. Which is but, awesome. <laughs> yeah, but hyperscale, you know, it's one thing if you're building an enterprise value practice and then you can kind of start to chip right. away, maybe coming down a little bit but still being in that enterprise space, it's another whole game when you're in the hyperscale of that small and medium space. So definitely sympathetic with that challenge. And then you're also trying at the same time, make sure enterprise keeps the wheels on and keeps growing stronger and then also move around the life cycle to customer success. So a good set of yep. challenges over the next 12 months, but if there's someone who I know is up to it, it's, it's definitely you, Bill. So all good. Well, there. I appreciate that. And, and, you know, Tom, it's interesting when you go back to when I first met you in 2003 or four or something, um, you know, we were selling on-prem software. Yeah. That life cycle was very different than what it is now in a SaaS world. <laughs> so. Yeah. Now it's, you know, you've got a year or two to make, you know, you, you're, you're selling a um, different kind of solution to start with right up front. And then you've got a year or two to make that recurring case and really a year to build an expansion case within that organization. Because if you don't get that renewal and you don't get the expansion, that customer acquisition just costs you money, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then yeah. even more so as you're moving into that small and medium space, which is definitely the huge growth opportunity, but also a relatively new market that has some entrenched com- competition down there too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, what is, I know we covered a lot. We covered uh, kind of international programs, lifecycle management that's come into play, how to scale. Um, what do you, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our Evolvers community with today? It, you know, it goes back to something I've said a couple of times that, that um, when, when I, I do a lot of the value training for our business development folks, so right out of college, you know, drumming up, doing the pipeline build. And, and there's, there's kind of three things I go back to all the time with them. And I think it's universal and true. And I don't care if you're, a day out of college or 20 years out of college is if, if you're going to, to do the, you know, not only be a practitioner or a leader, but also help enable people is remain curious, keep learning, um, take that curiosity, be informed about your market, your customer. Um, I got a saying I say to those folks, which is curiosity builds connections and informed curiosity wins deals. Um, yeah. Because that's how you can become a value seller is 
caring about your customer. And then the last thing is um, most companies get hung up thinking internally. So it's that eye of the beholder thing of how do you think externally? How do you teach value practitioners, but then also sellers to sit, you know, on the other side of the table and, and, and put on the, the shoes and the hat of their prospect because ultimately value means nothing except if the customer accepts it. Yeah. It's not the benefits of our features. It's the value of what the customers want to change and the outcomes they think they can get. Right. So totally. Win. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If Bill, they don't, if they don't own your business case, it's not a business case for them. <laughs> you got it. Bill, where can people find and reach you online? Well, well certainly they can, they can reach me at, at LinkedIn. I think you've got, got the link for that. Um, uh, you know, just uh, be legaler at NetSuite if, if they ever, I mean, I'm happy with somebody reaching out, emailing if they would like to do that. Those would probably be the two uh, best places. Um, you know, I find uh, link, LinkedIn, that, that the value selling community, I know that you're a big part of driving that. There's some others that it's really um, much more robust than it used to be. And there's a lot of good content that, that's going out and it's kind of in the back of my mind of I've got to do a little bit more of that uh, as well. But, you know, again, I'm happy for folks to, uh, to drop me an email. I've actually met a couple of people through your podcast or other things that, that have really been interesting. So happy to help, uh, help the community. I think it's, uh, it's been a wonderful part of my career and, and uh, for, for folks that, want to do something a little bit different, but really rewarding. I just think it's a, it's an awesome, uh, you know, career path for folks. So. Yeah. As the ROI guy, I couldn't agree more to the ROI. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Thanks for joining us today and participating. Make Evolver is a great and growing community. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Tom. Have a, have a great one. Until next time, Evolvers keep evolving. <laughs>